the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My oh High fly ball into right field. She is gone. The drives one. We're down to the final four in Major League Baseball. We're just a few weeks from the free agent frenzy beginning, and we have lots to discuss. It's the FSS Plus podcast. Joe Doyle, Jason Churchill, Casey Bellin behind the curtain. Hey, let's refresh this right at the top. I think last week, Joe, we both kind of picked the Phillies. I was on the winner of the Braves, Phillies winner, as my favorite to win the World Series. You outright said Philly. Still like Philly now, or you know that we're around from the series, or do you want to reset that a little bit and uh, and look at the matchups and say, hey, you know what, maybe I like one of the clubs from the American League. No shot. If you yeah. live in Philly and Nick Castellanos is out there, lock your doors, close your windows. The man is a menace. He's an absolute yes, he menace. Kyle Schwarber, team. Bryce Harper. Nick Castellanos, the guys just show up this time of year, man. And it's every flipping year. And then you add a four for four performance from Trey Turner in a deciding game. Well, game four, mm-hmm. game five, or yeah, game four. I mean, it was deciding. I mean, that, that team, yeah, for, for one side, that team is just, they're so fun and they shouldn't be this good because they're not that athletic, but God, they know how to get it done in October. Mm-hmm. But I do want to give Casey just a quick shout out. He said, it was going to be Texas that wins it all. Mm-hmm. And he said that they were just going to straight steamroll bludgeon their way there. And that has happened in spades. Mm-hmm. They kicked the crap out of their, out of their division or, or out of the ALDS. So I think everyone's in a pretty good spot right now. I think we could see the writing on the wall with the Baltimore Orioles though. Good team. Yeah. There's some depth on that roster, but they're not a lot of, uh, at least this season, there weren't a lot of, Big time, like impact offensive performance, just a lot of good ones. And we know that they have a problem uh, in that rotation. They don't have guys that can really match up real well. So when you get a really good pitching performance against them, they're pretty, uh, pretty beatable. Uh, Bryce Harper. Uh, I wanted to bring this up. Bryce Harper was the uh, was the teenager on the cover of the Sports Illustrated magazine. I was telling you guys before we hit the big red button here that uh that I saw him at uh, College of Southern Nevada. So technically, he's not a high school draft pick, which is it's weird to think about. But everybody knew he was going to be the first pick in the draft. So, uh, so it was fun to see him in, in quote unquote in college. Um, but how remarkable is Bryce Harper at this whole baseball thing? Like, I don't even mean on the field. Like everything. Like he's obviously really good. You put him in the batter's box and when he's healthy, he's a good right fielder, or at least a solid right fielder. He's learned how to play first base, uh, but he's obviously a great hitter. He's won a couple of MVPs, but that guy gets it. Does he not? Does he not understand like how to put on a show, how to handle himself? And, and the writing was on the wall a little bit for this to head in the other direction. You get a kid that's getting all this attention at 13, 14, 15, at cover of the SI magazine at what, 15 or 16 years old, you know, hitting 470 foot moonshots. The writing was on the wall for like some bad stuff to happen, to get distracted, to head down the wrong road, to get money at too early of an age. 
you know, kudos to Bryce Harper and those around him for, I don't want to call it growing up. Like it's not easy to do what Bryce Harper has done. All that attention, all that money immediately. How long did it take him to get to the big leagues? 10 minutes after he was drafted. Yeah. It was not in the minors very long. Bag uh, of chips and a sandwich. Right. Absolutely remarkable. And, and he's fun. You know, I, I saw that presser the other day when they were asking him about, uh, staring down, um, uh, Arcia uh, on the home run. He just flat out said, yeah, I stared right at him. I mean, it's like, and, and he didn't make a, a bigger deal out of it than the question asker. Uh, he, he didn't talk a bunch of trash. Uh, mm-hmm. I just, I think Bryce Harper is exactly what major league baseball needs. And, and it just made me, it made me a little sad. Like I love Mike Trout. I love Mike. Trout. I think he's a good dude. I really do. Uh, I think he's frustrated in, in, uh, in Anaheim. I think he doesn't want to say that. He's just a different human being than Bryce Harper. Mike Trout is not fun. Mike Trout is not no. fun. Bryce Harper is really fun, even though he doesn't really talk all that much. I just think it's remarkable uh, what has happened with uh, with Bryce Harper. He was great in Washington. He was pretty much great right away. Uh, multiple MVPs. And, uh, man, he makes that Phillies team go, obviously. Uh, a lot, a lot of fun to watch, Joe. Yeah, it's it's some of the most uh, organic theater that I think the sport can provide. Like he doesn't force anything. You know, he's not a guy that he's not a shit starter. He's not someone that's looking to, you know, poke fun. And, you know, it's just it's everything about Harper. Like he goes he, he hits this home run last night. He he almost injures his arm. And then immediately after after the game, he goes on Twitch and he just starts he starts <laughs> watching his own highlights with his with his, you know, Twitch streamers and saying, wow, that, you know, that was fun, y'all. Like, I, there's just something so wholesome about Bryce Harper. It, it's like he he doesn't see himself as a celebrity. Uh, I think he handles the local fans the right way, both in Washington and in Philly. And it's interesting because when Bryce left Washington, he was coming off of a couple. Like, he was a little bit enigmatic in the fact that he had a couple like okay seasons. There was mm-hmm. a lot of strikeouts, and then he was coming off a you know, a banger season when he was, when he was a free agent and he seems to have kind of ironed out everything uh, in terms of like where his warts were in Washington. And now he's just the consummate professional. Like he gives you a good at bat every night, every week. The thing that I think is remarkable about Bryce is you mentioned that he made it to the big leagues in like 10 minutes. <laughs> if you, if you go back, you're right. If you go back and watch Bryce Harper highlights from the college of Southern Nevada and his rookie year and you know, his, his blink in the minor leagues, like mm-hmm. that swing, like nobody's t- teaching that swing. Like it's not yeah. good. And it really, I'm not and, saying and, it's bad. Right. And, and there's a lot about it that hasn't changed either. A lot, but a That's lot of crazy. it has, he's, yeah. he's just, he's just matured in every way that you'd expect a professional hitter to mature, but man, there's barrel tipping and, 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 and trigger issues in terms of like repeatability and his attack angle was flat as hell. Like he had a really, uh, I don't want to say like problematic swing, but it certainly wasn't pretty Mm. and he's just grown with the game. And I think it speaks to just how, how talented, like how phenomenal he is, if that's a word, he just it is like, now. Can, it is where he, he he just played ball, man. He's just a ball player, and it's. I found it interesting that you said Mike Trout isn't fun, and it kind of speaks to like who is the face of baseball. Like, is it Shohei? Mm. 
Yeah. Is it is it, I think a lot of people coming into this season would have said Otani or Mookie Betts. I think Mookie Betts, there's sure. a lot of people that want Mookie to be the, the face of the game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were some Julio Rodriguez and Acuna during the season as the face of the game. I'm not so sure it's not Bryce Harper. And no. if he if he puts another ring on his finger, I think he kind of cements it as, you know, this is the dude. Yeah, I went and looked up just to see how many minutes <laughs> he spent in the Myers. Uh, he was the obviously he was the number one overall pick in the 2010 draft. Did not play in the minors that year. You know that was back when the negotiating took a little longer uh, after the draft. So uh, after Strasburg goes number one in, in 09, Harper goes number one to the Nationals in 2010. He makes his debut at age 18 in 2011. Plays 109 games uh, in the minors that year at 18 years old and reaches Double A. <laughs> as an 18 year old starts the next season in triple a at 19 in 21 games and he wasn't even good the numbers weren't even good they promote him to the big leagues and the only time that he's ever been back is when he had a little bit of an injury thing and needed some time back and they needed five games on rehab uh it just like like almost literally 10 minutes when you look at the grand scheme of things that is that, that is crazy um mike trout didn't spend all that much time in the minors either but not like this like trout came to the big leagues had to go back because at 20 years old he clearly wasn't ready harper's been great you you, uh you mentioned you know uh some of the seasons like somebody put up on twitter the other day you know who's had a better career trout or harper if you include postseasons and everything and it's clearly mike trout at this point i just don't know uh i just don't know if you want to include postseasons and 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 things like that i just i don't know if harper can really catch trout because from a wins above replacement standpoint, we're talking about almost twice the wins above replacement, uh, yeah. at, you know, through the end of this regular season. But man, Harper wins again. Like you said, he wins another ring. Maybe he's the World Series MVP. Maybe he's the LCS MVP. And again, we're talking about a guy who's 30 years old. Bryce Harper is he's been around for 84 years and he's only 30 <laughs> years old. It's it's crazy. Somehow. It's it's I just I don't know where this is going to end, but the thing is, he doesn't seem to be slowing down despite the fact that he had that injury. He's really locked in, and I realize he he only played 125 games this year because of the injury, and only played 99 last year because he missed some time toward the end. But the numbers were still pretty good, and I imagine next year he comes back and he's an MVP candidate again. Yeah, somehow that contract that he signed. 13 years or whatever it was somehow that looks like a bargain you know he signed through like age what 41 like he's already uh we'll see whether or not they put him back in the outfield i don't know i've I've always kind of felt as though once a guy gets moved to first base for whatever reason Mm -hmm. whatever reason he could he's very capable of still playing right field but for whatever reason when someone gets moved to first base all of a sudden the philosophy around the team starts Mm -hmm. changing in terms of roster building and you know like if you're if you're dave dombrowski right now you're looking at reese hoskins and going you know we might have the best first baseman in baseball yeah (laughs) like do we want to give hoskins 20 mil right yeah and hoskins being uh being a free agent after missing you know the season um he's not in a good spot to come back to that club that's uh that's for sure. Uh, Bryce Harper, a lot of fun there. Uh, all right, so let's dive into the uh, the LCS matchups. Um, I met you still like Philly in the uh, in the Diamondback series, of course. And on paper, that does look like a little bit of a mismatch. Just on mm-hmm. paper, we've talked about Schwarber and we've talked about Turner and 
and uh, obviously Harper and uh, they have some younger guys that are starting to play. Alec Baum is a solid player. He's not a great player, but he's a solid player. Uh, Bryson Stott. They, they, there's a, there's a lot of guys. And then the top of the rotation with, uh, with Wheeler and Nola, certainly um, they have some guys in the pen that can get it done. Like that Phillies team is built for the postseason, and, and they're obviously locked in and playing well right now, but I'm a big, um, how do I put this? I'm a big non-believer in momentum. I don't think it exists. You're only as good as, as you execute on the day of the game. So I think the Diamondbacks have a shot to make this really interesting. And, and one of the reasons uh, why I think Arizona has a shot is they, you know, they both, both teams are going to get to do it, but because Arizona is going to get to just line up at the top of the rotation and get Zach Gallon and Kelly, those shots in games one and two and pitch multiple times in a seven game series. I think they do have a shot, but I do think this is one of those instances, Joe, where, you know, Philly gets up to nothing. It's over. Like there's, there's no crawling back. No. The diamond, the diamondbacks have to play, uh, you know, step for step with the Phillies. If they want a chance, they can't fall behind in the series uh, to nothing. There is this a six game series, a five game series. Can the diamondbacks push it to seven? How do you see this one playing out? Man, that's a good question. I haven't, uh, I haven't given too much thought about how it's going to play out. I just, it just, you know, like I said at the beginning of the show, it feels like a red October. I just don't know if anybody can take the momentum away from Philly. I mean, Philly's got, they came into the postseason hot. They're staying hot through the postseason. Arizona has played fantastic, even though the Dodgers look like a shell of themselves. Flat. Yeah. They looked, they looked pretty awful. We'll talk about the, the Dodgers series. here in a couple of minutes, too. I think there's some yeah. really interesting decisions that they need to make. Um, but I think when you look Philly at Philly at five, I, I'll say Philly in five. Yeah, I think when you look at the matchup on paper, you know, I think starting pitching is probably a little bit closer than the general public is going to give it credit for. But I think the Phillies clearly have a, a bullpen advantage. They have an offense advantage. Um, you know, the one thing that I said in last week's episode was Arizona can put the game in motion when they need to. You know, if, if they want to really apply pressure to the Phillies, they can do that. But they counter with JT Real Muto, who's been the best defensive catcher you know, throwing guys out with pop times for the better part of half a decade. So, you know, just on paper, it's hard to, it's hard to see a lot of openings for Arizona and they're an inexperienced ball club. I mean, they only won what 84 games this season. They snuck in. I don't know, man. It's this one feels like a bit of a layup to me. I'll say Philly in five. Yeah. I think that's about where I am too. I I think five is a, is a pretty good, I I think Arizona has a chance to get it to six, but I think they're going to have to steal a game, uh, in Philadelphia early to have any shot to make this a seven game series or to even win it. I don't really look a whole lot on the 84 wins, but uh, pitching depth, Arizona doesn't really have it. You know, they, they just don't. And, and when you're facing a team like Philly who can just unload on you and hit five homers in a game and, and uh, with guys like Harper and Turner in the top four or five in that lineup, not a lot of automatic outs there. Um, that that's going to be a real tough one, even for for guys like Zach Gallon and Merrill Kelly to uh, to pitch against and, and and win those games. Uh, you made a good point there, Joe. Uh, the the ability for Arizona to run, I think it's going to be huge for them. They defend also. I think they're just going to need to make big plays. There's no margin for error here. I'd kind of like to see Arizona, you know, make this a really good series. Um, that there's some players over there that I really like. Corbin Carroll's obviously from the Seattle area. Uh, about 20 minutes from where I'm sitting uh, right now. Uh, Paul Seawald was in Seattle for a while. He's an easy guy to root for. 
um, Cattell Marte, former Mariner. So there's some connections to to, to the team that we cover uh, on a little more regular basis. But uh, man, like that that's gonna be that's gonna be difficult. Over in the American League, um, here's what's really interesting to me about the Texas Rangers. And then, like I said, I don't believe in momentum. I think you're only as good as how well you execute that day. The previous day doesn't make a damn bit of difference. But here's what Texas has going for them. This is not just a we're going to score nine runs and beat you kind of team at this particular moment. That, that is not what we've seen. You go to that, uh, that Baltimore series. What happened in that Baltimore series? Because they didn't just win nine to nothing, nine to seven, ten to eight. They, they didn't do that. They also pitched really well. Mm-hmm. And that's something they did really early in the year. And we questioned during the year, can they keep this? And they couldn't, they didn't keep it up. They, they had to squeak into the postseason behind that, that offense. If they're going to get Max Scherzer back, if they're going to get earlier season, Nathan Uvalde, uh, Jordan Montgomery has been pretty steady. I think the Rangers can pitch with the Astros a little bit. I, I think the bullpen is still a concern, but if Texas gets, 4-2 lead heading into the sixth or seventh inning, it's really going to be about can they slam the door? And I think they're going to have those opportunities. I think that series is going seven, Joe. I think the Texas Astros series, Rangers-Astros, I think there's a good shot to go seven. Let me give you a hot take. I, I think if Max Scherzer is healthy enough to pitch, you don't pitch him more than two innings at a time out of the bullpen. I just think he wasn't spectacular in August and September. Um, they've got a good thing going right now. Like these guys are starting to heat up when they haven't pitched well all season. Now it's Max Scherzer. You, you know, you put him in in that you know mad bum, you know, sixth inning, seventh inning, eighth. Like you get the guy who wants the bright lights, the ball at some point in the series. But I don't think you give him the ball to start a game. I think you got enough arms pitching well and clicking right now that you don't do that. I mean, I kind of look at like look at what the Dodgers did. I mean, they were short of arms and they, you know, they go out and acquired Lance Lynn, who had been awful all season. He wasn't terribly good for the Dodgers down the stretch either. And they were kind of pigeonholed to have to start him against the Diamondbacks. And, well, the Diamondbacks just did something historic by hitting moonshot after moonshot after moonshot after him. You know, to me, I I don't think you have to start Max Scherzer because it's Max Scherzer and it's the playoffs. So Mm. um, the thing with this is going to be how much does the Astros experience play into this? Mm-hmm. Because I think it's really hard to ignore that. I mean, Bre- uh, Alex Bregman has been kind of quiet all year. He's gotten hot. Altuve's gotten hot. Jose Abreu. Jose, Jose Abreu's Abreu. been an absolute Jose Abreu won the game. For the Astros down the he won the game the for him last night. Really flipped the switch there. Uh, he that, had more home runs in that, in that clincher than he had in April and May. <laughs> man he was terrible early he was that so just, bad that contract looked like an absolute and it still doesn't look great it looked like an absolute disaster for the first like four months of the season and you look the second half and in terms of batting average and things like that still not still not great but he was he was a 109 wrc plus bat the second half of the season when you look at uh uh, September, October, he was up in the 120s. So this is a guy who rebounded. He's obviously been good in the postseason, lengthening that already good Houston. I do think at the end of the day, Houston's too much for the Rangers. I do too. I do. I, there are too many arms that can get that can miss bats. Uh, they know what they're doing with that pitching situation. Uh, they can combat Justin Verlander only going five and giving up three runs and being down three two when he's removed. 
Um, they're prepared for that sort of a thing. Uh, I do think the Astros are are uh, too much setting up a uh, well, setting up a, a repeat World Series. Uh, I'm going to take Houston in seven. You think it's going to go seven, Joe? I think it's going to go six, and the reason I say that is because I think that the talent, I think the disparity in talent on on both sides is pretty wide. I actually think Houston is a way better pitching staff mm. than Texas, and I think Texas they've been hot. You know, they're getting good results out of Evaldi and Haney and some of these guys that um, weren't necessarily great in August and September. But I think that kind of runs out when you run into a team that that saw you thirteen or fourteen times. I'll say this: Corey Seager looks like a man on a mission like mm-hmm. what a I, i'm not sure maybe it's the injury that caused him to miss a month and a half i'm not sure why we're not talking more about how incredible his season has been and and how quickly he's taken to the american league uh and i don't think we're talking enough maybe we are but evan carter has been unbelievable mm-hmm. like, that guy looks like a star maybe not in the making but a present star. And I think and because kinda, of that kind of came out of nowhere a little bit when the season started, it was like, yeah, Evan, it's like Evan Carter's a good prospect. Really? Nobody was like, this is a top five prospect in baseball, but that's how he's performed. I started the year in double a raked, got to the big leagues over the late in the summer. He's hit looks like he belongs, but yeah, going back to Corey Seager for a second. When, when Corey Seager signed that big deal with, uh, with the Rangers, um, was it 10 years, $325 million. And he signed it at what? I think he was, I think he was 27 at the time. So his age 28 season was his first season in uh, Texas. And he wasn't great last year. I think he hit like 245 with, uh, uh, he did it 30 home runs, but 245, 317, 450. That's not a great year. It's a really good year from a shortstop. But in general, when you pay a guy $325 million, you want more offense out of him. Uh, you're right. He's been, ridiculously good and if Corey Seager played 150 games this season instead of 119 he would probably be my pick for MVP over Shohei Otani um I just don't I'm big on just really quick not to go too far off the deep end there when you get a guy like Otani who doesn't impact the season for a whole month I really don't care what he did the previous five months of the season if there's another legitimate high quality MVP candidate, that guy's going to get it. If you don't perform at all in September and for the other five months, you perform for a mediocre baseball team. I would have voted for Seager if he had 145, 150 games, 327, 390, 623, 33 bombs in 119 games playing shortstop on a right, playing a decent shortstop. And Corey Seager's not a bad fielder. Um, he's one of those shorts. He reminds me of Cal Ripken in a lot of ways. He's mm. never, ever going to wow you. He was never was going to never was going to wow you with range and flashy, uh, flashy plays, but you know, he's kind of back and forth. When you look at the advanced metrics over a long period of time, he's, he's right around average one year and then he's below average the next year. Then he's above average the next year. Then he's about average for two years. I mean, just like, like I don't buy those defensive metrics like a lot of folks do, but he bounces around average um, and has pretty much his entire career and did it again this year. You know, DRS liked him outs above average. It's like, yeah, you know, you've been okay. Uh, And then you go out and hit 33 home runs in 119 games. Yeah. An elite season, from Corey Seager and what would that have looked like at the same pace anyway 
over 150 games. I mean, it's, it's an eight win season. I mean, he ended up being a six win guy. Yeah. I mean, uh, anyway, and you wouldn't have to shake off the rust either. He was hot as hell when he got hurt. And mm-hmm. there was a little two weeks there where he kind of stumbled back out of the blocks. I mean, we might be talking about an eight and a half win season. Yeah. It probably, probably would have ended up one of the top seasons ever by a shortstop. And, and that for me would have been enough for an MVP vote. Like yeah, I would have, yeah, that, that would have been my shortstop. guy. Yeah. Um, I'll say this and listen, hindsight is always 2020. So I'm not patting myself on the back. I just think looking at this retroactively, it's important to kind of take note when all those shortstops hit the market, the Corey Seager deal was the pretty much the only deal. Uh, maybe Trey Turner, mm-hmm. the Corey Seager deal was probably the only deal that I would have like signed off on. I was mm-hmm. like, man, that dude just looks like a future MVP. The swing, he's going to hit. Like, there, was there any hit. doubt he was going to hit? Like, but even any, if he moves, if he moves like the, to third base, like yeah, that, that worst, profile, the worst seasons he was putting up in LA were like two ninety three seventy with twenty two home runs. It's like the worst seasons. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm my I'm apprehension on Corey Seager was his back. Like, is mm. is the body going to hold up? Because he's always beaten up. And, he and how long can he stick at shortstop? That's still the thing. He's 29 mm-hmm. years old. He's going to be 30 next April. How long can he stay at shortstop? I'm not saying you have to do anything now or anytime real soon, but does he have to move to third base at 32 with, what, six years left You know, on his I don't deal? Know if it matters. Very possible. I don't know if it matters. And while I think it matters a little bit, but is that going to make the contract not look good? No, no. because he's going to hit you know 300 with 35 home runs. Right, yeah. So I'm, yeah, I'm with you. The Semyon deal is a little bit of a different story. <laughs> I wasn't in on that, but I'll Not just wrap it up with that. this. Corey Seager is probably a Hall of Famer, and I don't care if it's a shortstop mm. or third base. He's probably going to end up with like 70 to 80 war, like three or four rings. I mean, the guy is just an absolute stud. So Interesting give, topic. Interesting yeah, no, topic. I give, He's already I give a 32 win player. He's already a 32 win player before the age of 30. You, you mentioned the uh, uh, he has a has a ring with the Dodgers. Uh, he has uh, a career one uh, 34 WRC plus 292 361 512 with 170 career home runs. And I don't know. I'd say he has at least five prime offensive years left. We're talking about a guy who. Yeah easily gets to 350 homers before he even starts to decline significantly offensively easily you get the 500 home runs look yeah. at it like this like the guy is he's gonna i mean uh, you can't speak in absolutes but he's gonna average five war per year for the next six seasons i have a hard time believing if he stays healthy he doesn't because it's mm-hmm. just a robotic operation that works he's proven it time and time again so that takes him to 65 war and you know he's gonna that's all he's gonna he, he's yeah. gonna get to 350 homers in his sleep. So yeah. that's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, that's all of Famer when you play shortstop for most of your career. And that's Absolutely. only at age 35. Mm. He could get better. Yeah. He'll he, still yeah, have some third base, first be base that, DH time left. Yeah, he could age well. Yep. Um, I gotta be honest with you. I'm I'm not a Kyle Seager fan. Uh, those of you who have followed me understand why I'm not a Kyle Seager fan. But it would have been really fun last year, at least if Kyle Seager would have signed on to play with the Texas Rangers for a year. I don't know. I just thought that would have been cool. Brothers playing together short and third base would have been a lot of fun, but uh, Kyle didn't want to do it. Kyle ruining the party again. Jesus, Kyle grow up, man. What's going on? Prioritizing being a dad. It always, I know like what's wrong with you, you know, like what geez, Kyle. (laughs) Um, No, I, I certainly don't disparage people for that. All right. So we talked about the Dodgers getting knocked out. Uh, The Orioles getting knocked out by the Rangers. Uh, the, the Dodgers, let's start with the Dodgers, Joe, because 
when you look at that ball club, it is really easy to see what they're missing. You know, like I'm a, I'm a big, I think you've mentioned this before too. One of the things when you get to the deadline or even when you get to the off season, you look at the markets, the trade markets, the, uh, the free agent uh, class, and you kind of decide, okay, how can we go about making our team better? Sometimes what you need most is not available to you. Like they're just, they're just, sometimes it's just not there. And then you just go add to your strength, right? Well, the Dodgers strength is that offensive lineup, but I think they might need a little help there too. But that pitching staff is an unmitigated disaster relative to how many games they won in 2023. What is Clayton Kershaw moving forward? Can they, can they expect anything over the next year or two from Walker Bueller and Dustin May? Uh, the, the, the Julio Urias situation puts them in a bad spot as well. Uh, if the Dodgers don't go out and make multiple impact starting pitching acquisitions this winter, I will be floored. I'll be absolutely floored. I think they'd rather stay uh, where they are at some of these other spots on the on the field, especially shortstop, and fix that pitching staff. But I, I think that's got to be the strategy for the Dodgers is to prioritize. And when I say prioritize, until they add two impact starters, I'm not spending another dime. I'm not spending any prospect assets on anything else if I'm the Dodgers. The fix for the Dodgers for me is to fix the top of that rotation that used to be, they used to be a little bit like the Astros when Verlander and Garrett Cole and then Verlander and Framber Valdez. And they just haven't had that the last couple of years. And it has shown up in the postseason for sure, Joe. Yeah. So I'll give you a little snapshot on what they're looking at. Uh, next year, they have an $18 million club option for Lance Lynn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, no. I think they, I, I, but I mean, they're not picking that up. They're not picking that up. It is. I mean, it he, is a. It, it's a. It's, it's a robust free agent market for starting pitchers. So probably not. But let me tell you kind of who else they have, and then we can decide. Like maybe they just pick it up out of you know at, as an insurance policy. Um, Gonsolin is gone for twenty twenty four. He just got cut. Uh, mm-hmm. Walker Bueller had a setback by all signs. I, he should be back fully healthy for twenty twenty four. I would imagine. Uh, Dustin May. Probably not going to pitch in 2024. I would be mm-hmm. surprised. Uh, they, besides that, they pretty much only have Bobby Miller, Ryan Pepio, and maybe Michael Grove is is a mm-hmm. starter next year. That's not a lot of of shirt like assuredness. Uh, and there's young kids there that could get hurt. You know that they've seen their guys go down. So I'm with you, man. Like I have a hard time seeing how the Dodgers don't sign at least two but more likely three arms Mm. uh the third probably being a a, you know a veteran minimum type of a thing they need help and Shohei Otani's not gonna not gonna help that situation um even though they're probably the massive prohibitive favorites to sign him anyways right so you think you'd think at least if you're gonna make three starting pitching acquisitions if you're the Dodgers at least two of those are multiple year they're two year to longer term deals and then maybe in the interim, um, you know, they just go for a short-term deal on, on some of these guys. They do have some pitching on the way after Miller, but, you know, I think Nick Frasso's at least a year away. I think Gavin Stone might be able to help. I'm not sure where he fits into their rotation for 2024, probably at the back end somewhere, of course, but um, not necessarily the guy that's going to step up and be a top-of-the-rotation option. But, it, yeah, and to be honest with you, I don't really know where they, where they go. Is it, are, are the Dodgers – Sonny Gray and Jordan Montgomery are they? Uh, are they? I was going to ask. 
You know, make I a was big ask trade. About Jack Flaherty. Can they fix Jack Flaherty? He's local. Yeah, that'd be an interesting like uh, uh, like one year get if Flaherty's willing to take a one year deal for you know twelve to fifteen million guaranteed with some incentives. Go to the Dodgers. Go to the Rays. Go somewhere. Get fixed, and then go back out on the market. He's one of the younger starting pitcher free agents. It's a really interesting idea, Joe. Yeah. I'm into that. Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do, but we didn't mention, I should mention Emmett Sheehan. He had some moments this year, but the point is like everyone that we've mentioned is 23, 24. They haven't logged a ton of innings. We've seen, you know, arms go down. So I, I just don't think you can rely on these guys that have less than 80 career innings to carry you to where you need to be next year. They need, man, you look at this Dodgers team. They, they don't have a horse. You know, I, if, if, if Clayton Kershaw comes back, he was porcelain this year. And he, you know, ran out of gas down the stretch. So, you know, I don't think you can certainly can't call him a, a top of the rotation option. Yeah, he's um, like a five-inning guy even when he was healthy. And, yeah, and if you do, you got to give him twenty million. So they're they're stuck. It's a sticky spot for the Dodgers. It is, and they're going to have to make some decisions on a couple of free agents too. Do they want to bring back Jason Hayward? Do they want to bring back J.D. Martinez? Um, and if not, who replaces him? Um, you know, there are a lot of question marks on their bench as well. I think they brought over uh, they brought over Ahmed Rosario uh, to help them with depth uh, at second base and shortstop uh, and to play off the bench. And, you know, he was, you know, pretty decent for them, actually, um, considering he was a bench guy. But he's a free agent. Like, they have some decisions to make, um, you know, just about up and down that. You know, obviously, Mookie Betts is back. Freddie Freeman's back. Will Smith is back. James Albin is back. Max Muncy is back. So they have the core. But I can't remember the last time the Dodgers had this many question marks in the rotation and, you know, on the roster itself. It's going to be really, really interesting to see how they go about it. Now, you can you can go a long way into fixing that roster by signing Shohei Otani. Uh, but if you don't, I don't know what their offseason looks like. It's going to be absolutely fascinating. I think the Dodgers, because they're such a huge draw, Joe, uh, they're one of the elite organizations – in all sports, really, they're one of the. Uh, it's still one of the the most talent laden organizations in the game, despite the uh, uh, the shortcomings that we're talking about right now. Uh, the farm system is always good. Uh, sometimes it's great, um, and they're and they're a big draw. Um, being in L.A., being on the West Coast, being down in California, being close to the beach. Um, that I think the Dodgers, as much as any team in Major League Baseball, and especially with the Shohei Otani connection here they kind of control the offseason as much as any team in baseball this year when it comes to free agency and it comes to guys that they might move when it comes to, you know, certainly Otani and some of the other big ticket guys, especially that pitching market. And that's why I'm not real confident we're going to see the pitching market fall back to where it was two years ago because I think last year's spending spree could leak over. And I think the Dodgers are going to lead the way. If the Dodgers go out and say, Hey, Jordan Montgomery, here's six and one fifty, Like all of a sudden the pitching market is huge, right? If they don't yeah. and no other team does, or the Mets don't one of those, you know, those, those big elite uh, spending teams don't come out and kind of set the market high. We could see a really competitive off season with the, uh, with pitching, but I think the Dodgers kind of, uh, kind of control all of that. Yeah, they have $138 million committed to 2024, not including pre-arb and arb. So more than likely, they have about $155 million, $160 million committed. They 
That's not a lot for them. They have $120 million in spending room to do whatever they want with. You could go get Shohei Otani and you could add 50 million more on top of that and still wouldn't approach what they've peaked at. So they're going to blow right right past the luxury tax. There's no doubt about that. Um, Yeah. The the Dodgers should probably be back on the mountain that they, that they, Mm. I don't want to say fell from, but receded from. Sure. They certainly did. Now, obviously regular season won a bunch of games, but uh, uh, they obviously had question marks. There weren't a lot of people picking them to win the world series. And it's understandable why, even before, the uh, the loss of the Diamondbacks in the LDS it was really understandable yeah. why you, you have to have pitching you can buy in yeah they're absolutely. here for a reason they they cut fifty million off the top for twenty twenty three for a reason and mm-hmm. I, I think it makes the I think it makes the whole like if they don't land Shohei Otani how confusing and befuddling the last twenty four months of the Dodgers front office will have been I think everyone just presumes that they're they're making room so. That's true. That's very true. They did shave. Uh, I think the tax number um, went from two eighty. I think it was two eighty six in twenty twenty one to uh, to two sixty seven. I think this year, but the cash number mm-hmm. went down. Like you mentioned, almost sixty million dollars between twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three. So you got to figure they were planning uh, on way more. There's yeah. way more coming off next year. Uh, Hayward Ooh. Martinez. Yeah. Kershaw. Mm-hmm. They'll be able to do they, absolutely anything they want to do. They've got residuals on the books for Justin Turner that's coming off. Like they're, they're going to save so much money. They're going to be able to do whatever they want. Right. I think this is a test for uh, that front office. I know Brandon Gomes is the. Uh, is technically the, uh, the the general manager there, but uh, he doesn't call. Um, you know, all the shots ownership gets involved there, you know, quite a bit um, because they spend money um, every year. Andrew Friedman is the shot caller there really. And, and I think this is uh, this is a big test. I mean, that's a really good front office, by the way. Um, you, you get Andrew Friedman with all his experience in Tampa. Uh, you get Brandon Gomes, who's kind of new to the, you know, to the position still, but Josh Burns, uh, is your your VP of baseball operations Jeff Kingston uh, is your vice president and assistant general manager? There's a lot of really good, interesting front office guys there. I think this is their biggest test. I, I do because you're going to spend and you're going to make moves, but they're a little bit more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? You, their margin for error is a little thinner than it's been in the last 15, 20 years in terms of making these moves, considering where they are and all the, uh, all, all the open spots on the roster. All right, let's flip over to the, bo- the, the Baltimore Orioles in the American League. Finished with the best record in the AL. They get ousted. They don't win a game in their series against the Rangers. Uh, I keep saying you could kind of see the writing on the wall here. It wouldn't have surprised me if the Orioles won that series, Joe, but it certainly didn't surprise me that they did not. I, I just It was a year early for this team and they were great and and very consistent over the regular season and winning the American league East. If you are the Baltimore Orioles, if you're Mike over there in Baltimore running that club, what is your priority heading into this off season uh, with that young club with Adley Rutschman behind the plate, Gunnar Henderson, you know, on that infield, they got some young talent coming up still as well. They got some infielders, got a couple of outfielders that may break through like they don't really necessarily need to go put assets into that lineup, but that pitching staff, I imagine, is at the top. What do you do? Can you can you attach a name or two to your uh, your priority list if you're uh, 
uh, if you're running the Baltimore Orioles this winter? Yeah, my priority would be to get older, like plain and simple. I know it's nice that you have so many players that are controllable and cheap and you have options all over the diamond, but you got to get older. Like if I'm Mike Elias, these are two names that I'm actively trying to move. Like Colton Kowser and Jordan Westbrook should not be in the organization on April 1st, 2024. And that's those not guys because are, they're and, that, and that's not because they're assholes, right? Of course <laughs> that's not. not what you're they're a really good right. player. No, they're right. they're good players, but also there's just not a lot of room for them right mm-hmm. now. And at some point, uh, the dearth of prospects, and even if you're moving, listen, even if you're moving prospects for controllable pitching, like you need to go get arms. You have limitless bats, and those bats are only going to get better and better as they get older. Adley Rutschman is going into year three. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so Gunnar Henderson was a menace the second mm-hmm. half of the That's season. Really good. Heston Kerstad showed some flashes of being a real middle of the order presence. Like those are guys that I wouldn't move, but the guys that are more of the role players, like the Joey Ortiz, the Jordan Westberg, the Colton Cowser, like maybe, maybe you move Anthony Santander because you don't want to pay him, but you need to move, move these guys for pitching help. I don't know where that is. You know, I don't know whether or not they want to throw together a massive package for Dylan Cease. I don't know what the, what the White Sox are going to try to do this season, but uh, this winner is going to be a unique one in that the Dodgers are going to have to find a way to acquire pitching. The Orioles are probably going to shake things up just with how they approach the winner. They've got to reconfigure that organization a little bit. So because of that, I think there's going to be some names that we don't expect to be available on the market. And I think the Orioles need to be in on all of those, but yeah, I mean um, to answer your question, it's just trim the triple a guys that you don't think fit into your regular rotation, your regular, uh, defensive rotation moving forward and kind of improve some of the pitching. We've talked about how well Seattle and Baltimore line up. Mm-hmm. Seattle has a, 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 a an overage almost in pitching. If you count Robbie Ray being available and you count Marco Gonzalez being a viable option. If Seattle wanted to move a Bryce Miller or Seattle wanted to move a, uh, a Brian Wu, or if they wanted to blow things uh, you know, out of the water and move a Logan Gilbert so the Orioles have a legitimate top-of-the-rotation guy, the two teams line up really, really well. So I think finding partners to improve that rotation and getting, getting an anchor, like getting a stopper, getting a guy that you know can give you seven innings and two runs when you need it uh, is what Baltimore needs. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I do wonder if they don't... Uh you know, dip their toe in the free agency for one guy though. I know they're not a big spending team. The, the Angelos family there is one of the most ridiculous and sad uh, and embarrassing ownership groups in major league baseball. Um, but I, I wonder if they don't have room to go get one guy. So if I told you that they were going to go out and get one 20 plus million dollar a year uh, free agent, you know, it, who could you tie that to? Is this a, uh, uh, it, 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 Eduardo Rodriguez would be, would be one possibility. I, I know he has the, the, uh, the player opt out at $18 million. The Detroit Tigers would like him to opt out of that. Um, it sounds like, um, mm-hmm. is that someone, you know, that, uh, uh, that Baltimore goes after, or is this a, uh, do they just go to Sonny Gray or Jordan Montgomery or one of the bigger names on the market? If Marcus Stroman opts out of his $21 million player option, um, is that the direction you go? Or do you just, or is this an Aaron Nola, Blake Snell situation? Probably the two best guys uh, on the market if you're looking for, you know, deals longer than three years. 
are they fits in, in Baltimore if they're willing to spend 20, $25 million a year? My gut would tell me that they wouldn't splurge on one player. I, I think Baltimore has kind of proven that they want to go the analytic route. Like, hey, what do we do well? What can we really maximize and pull the full efficiency out of? The guy that comes to mind if he opts out in LA would be Andrew Haney. Like Andrew Haney's always had uh, some metrics and traits about the way that he delivers the ball that not a lot of other people can replicate. And I think as a lefty, you know, that that Baltimore team is is right-handed heavy right now in the rotation. I think that would be a very, very good fit. Um, some of the other guys like Eduardo Rodriguez, yeah, but the guy that does stick out is is Marcus Stroman. I mean, he's an East Coast guy. If you're gonna splurge a little bit on a guy now, he's got I'm trying to remember what the injury was. It, it was a, a bundle strain or a flexor cap, capsule mm. strain or something actually pretty concerning. Um, and maybe Casey can pull that up. But uh, I think, you know, he's the type of guy that is an East Coast guy. You know, he went to Duke just down the road. Maybe he uh, maybe he makes some sense for the team. But, yeah, I still think that they would be dipping their toes into, like, the San Francisco Giants market, like, two years, sure. 36 yeah, The million. Alex Cobb types. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So but they need that. We, they don't have it. Before we move on, um, the one of the interesting teams this winter, I think, when it comes to starting pitching, potentially trading starting pitching, is the Milwaukee Brewers. And I'm not saying they should go out and move, you know, Corbin Burns or Brandon Woodruff, but we know the reputation or the uh, the relationship between team and player is not good with with some of those guys. And I, I, if I'm not mistaken, Corbin Burns. Um, and, and Brandon Woodruff both um, don't really love the way the Milwaukee Brewers have gone about dealing with their uh, their contract situations. Um, and thank you, Casey. Uh, Stroman had a, a rib cartilage fracture was actually the uh, the issue that he had uh, this year. But he had a good year, one of his better years of his career. And if Stroman were to hit the market, or even if he didn't, I wonder if the Cubs would be interested in moving him since he'd only have one year left on his deal. But the Brewers, Freddie Peralta had a pretty good year. Uh, Woodruff and Burns uh, sitting at the top of that rotation are obviously pretty good. Joe, you mentioned Dylan Cease potentially with the White Sox starting over, new front office. Obviously, they need to rebuild that organization. Maybe Dylan Cease is a guy they move. He's still a you know probably a number two, uh, I would think. Uh, what do you think about the Brewers shopping one of their guys to try to fill some holes on the rest of their roster? You're, you're probably going to shave a little money you know, off the top of that payroll as well because uh, of the bloated arbitration salaries uh, of Woodruff and uh, and Burns there. How does that fit into maybe what the Dodgers or the Orioles might want to do with their rotation? I mean, the Dodgers are the team and the Orioles. That's a good point. I mean, they could definitely offer a package that, that could sway those two teams. I, I think, you know, Woodruff, it, announced, it got announced today that Woodruff is going to miss all of 2024 with shoulder capsule surgery. So, right. All of a sudden, the, the Brewers are pretty tight in terms of the pitching depth that they have in 2024. Now, that that being said, you have to look toward the future. Corbin Burns has made it quite clear he's not coming back to Milwaukee. I think that's mm-hmm. clear as day. Uh, so you got one more year with him. I, if, and his if, arm number is pretty big. We're talking 15 plus million. I think he made 10 last year. We're talking about 15 million north of 50 million dollars, right? I guess my question with Milwaukee though would be. If you're going to move Corbin Burns, you got to think that the team wants to bring back uh, controllable starting pitching. I don't see that in Baltimore, not not as not as strong as I see that in in Los Angeles. I could see, you know, like a like a Michael Grove and a Landon Knack and, you know, yeah, throw throw another mm-hmm. lottery ticket uh, from in the, the 15 to 30 range going to Milwaukee. That would make some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I think you are fully admitting that Milwaukee is punting for 2024. And if that's the case, you, you might really have to Adamus. if you're Milwaukee, not that you want to just come out and, and make it obvious that you're, you know, like you said, punting on, on the season. But if you're already going to be without Woodruff, you, you have two options. You have to replace his, you know, performance or replace a good portion of it in that rotation somehow. And you're probably not going to be able to do that within the organization. And you yeah. need to add to that offensive lineup somehow significantly. So how you go do go do that without spending a bunch of money, I don't know. Like trading a Corbin Burns or trading a Freddie Peralta might be the only way you fix that lineup without putting an extra $40 million a year into that payroll. And it doesn't sound like that's an option at all. So I don't know. I think the Milwaukee Brewers are really interesting. Not that they have to punt or they have to trade Corbin Burns. It would just be interesting. It'd be an interesting way to wait. He's got one year left. Corbin Burns does one year left. And like you said, it's pretty clear. He's not going back. He's not re-signing with them. He's not, they're not getting anything team friendly from Corbin Burns. So where does he end up? I, I'd be really surprised if he started the 2024 season with the Milwaukee Brewers, to be honest with you. I think it's their only way out is to trade Burns now. You think they're selling low, though? Because it wasn't a banner year for Corbin Burns. And I think if you try and get him straight by July, you can move him for arguably the same package. Mm, I would. I'd move him. I'd move him now. I, I, I would. I think when you trade a guy in late July, you're trading two months of him. And you risk him continue continuing to head in the direction that he headed this year. Now, not that he was bad this year, um, but do you worry about the the, the stuff? Um, the velocity has been down a tad. Um, the stuff and the command has been down a tad. Um, but when you look at the runs allowed metrics, um, and he's certainly headed south since 2020, 2021, um, but not bad. Like this is a guy who you, you get him in the right situation. Maybe somebody has an idea. You regain the, uh, the strikeout stuff that he had a couple of years ago. I think you're still trading a number two starter here. And I think if you wait, you risk it continuing to head in this direction, maybe even get worse. And then you're only trading two months of that. Uh, I would trade. See, again, I, I always use the Francisco Lindor situation. Uh, they should have traded Corbin Burns last winter. The Cleveland Guardians waited too long to trade Francisco Lindor. Didn't get enough for him. Now I realize they got uh, they got Jimenez in that deal, but they didn't get enough for a guy that was a star. Um, the Brewers should have traded Corbin Burns last winter, uh, but now that they've waited, waiting even longer, I think would be a mistake. Um, but yeah. something like that, you know, someone like a Burns being put on the market, kind of shakes up that that free agent group too, and maybe Milwaukee waits until most of the top guys are signed and then they start talking to clubs about, uh, about Corbin Burns. I think it'd be, uh, be really, really interesting. All right. So the Orioles and the Dodgers both need pitching and they probably go about it in very, very different ways. It sounds like uh, that's what you expect. Joe, and I certainly wouldn't be surprised uh, if LA basically spent money and the Orioles basically made trades. I mean, that's what those teams are, uh, are about. All right. The Toronto blue Jays two consecutive years getting absolutely wiped from the postseason. Um, I think one of the odd things about the Blue Jays, Joe, it's a good team, not a great team, but their window has disappeared on them. A couple of years ago, we were looking at Bo Bichette, Vlad Guerrero Jr. They had just signed George Springer. Um, the uh, – the situation at uh, at some of the other spots, on the, and they go out and get Matt Chapman, who's an older player and now a free agent. 
Um, they end up swi- uh, swapping out essentially to Oscar Hernandez for Varsho, but all of a sudden George Springer's 34 years old and not quite as good as he used to be. Uh, all of a sudden, Bo Bichette has a couple of years left, even after the three-year deal they signed. And while he's still very good, what is Vladimir Guerrero? And like their window seems to have, have kind of gone away. It seemed like they they opened this window, they cracked it open two years ago. And we thought, man, this team has a chance to be really good for like the next five to 10 years. And here we are two, three years later. And we're like, well, I don't know. And, and I bring this up because Vladimir Guerrero Jr. First of all, the idea was that he was going to be one of the elite mashers in major league baseball. And that has not happened since the, he's been been good. He's been good. Uh, but since 2021, when uh, when he posted a 166 WRC plus with 48 home runs, he's gone backwards in a pretty significant way. Uh, in 2022, 274, 339, 480 with 32 homers, very very good, but not elite. And then this year, another dip: 264, 345, 444 with 26 home runs, still a good player, not elite. Like there was a lot of best hitter in baseball talk back in 2021 and rightfully so 311 uh with 48 bombs i mean that's absolutely jordan alvarez mike trout bryce harper elite mookie bets that that's what that is what is what is vlad guerrero now as he's getting closer and closer to freedom now he's got two years uh he's got two years left and he's really pricey in arbitration i think i saw the uh uh, the the arbitration projection for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. twenty was, and a half, yeah, over twenty million dollars for a DH for a guy who's essentially a DH. Now, is he playing first base? Can he play? Sure, he's not good there. It, would it make the most sense? That's the big question, and that's why I'm bringing this up. Would it make more sense for Toronto to move Vladimir Guerrero Jr. again? Don't make the mistake the Guardians did. If you're going to move a guy, you're not going to sign. If, you, if you're going to extend Guerrero, let, let's end the conversation right now. It's over. But mm-hmm. if you're not going to, or you think it's going to be better for your organization to move him at some point, move him now when he has two years of control left. And so you don't pigeonhole yourself into a situation where you're trading one year of him and maybe he continues to head south. I think you could convince a team to give you quite the haul. And if uh, if Toronto wants to shop Vlad Guerrero Jr. this winter, I, I think there'd be a little bit of a frenzy around him. I, I think just about everybody looking for yeah. offense would be interested in Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Joe. Yeah, without question. And, you know, you and I cover the Seattle market more than most. It's a really good trade, like partnering. Mm-hmm. It's really good. I mean, Toronto's not going to want to close the door. They're not going to want to close the door on 2024. Their window's open. But, I mean, if, if you're Toronto and you're willing to buy low on Thai France, and you're willing to take on, you know, let's say Toronto wants Ty France and Brian Wu uh, for two years of of Vlad. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the most outlandish thing that's ever been said. At the end of the yeah. day, you have to you have to realize like Vlad has been down, and he hasn't been a terribly, let's use the word valuable player. He's he was worth like what was it one war yeah. this year? Yeah, one. He's worth one one win over the replacement player. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and he's regressed every year since 2021. Um, his his, I'll say this kindly his his um his physique has regressed a little bit. It's, he it's a bad body. I'll say it's it. not. Yeah. It's yeah. It's it's a tough body to keep in shape. Seattle's looking for offense. There's a lot of teams looking for offense. Philly could use 
could use Vlad. Mm -hmm. They don't have the pieces to trade for it, but they could use it. This is why, you know, I don't think a team like, like Baltimore makes a ton of sense here. I think maybe the Yankees might make some sense in this regard. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there would be teams lining up to refill the Blue Jays farm system, probably give them the pieces to continue to compete in 2024. And there's teams that have the payroll flexibility to take on what should be presumed to be $50 million over the next two years mm. for Vlad. The question is, uh, the team that acquires Vlad, do they have any interest in re-signing him to a deal after 2024 or 2025? I I don't think so. Unless things dra- dramatically improve, I can't see any team ponying up or wanting to pony up five years, $135 million for Vlad. And that's kind of going to be the, uh, and, and that's if that's be the, the question. And if that's the case that they don't really have interest in extending it beyond the two years that you'd be acquiring. If you're Seattle, do you want to give up a Bryce Miller or a Brian Wu for two years of Lacker? If you're, if you pretty much know it's only going to be two years and that it might be a little bit of a risky two years. Now the, when you just use W, I know WRC plus isn't the end all be all, but just generally using WRC plus Vlad Guerrero jr. A 118 in 2023 Ty France, a 104 is Brian Wu by himself without Ty France, even being included in that trade worth a 14% increase in production at first base. So I think the key here is you're expecting Vlad Guerrero to find his way back in the other direction if you're going to make a deal like that. Because there are other clubs that could do that, other clubs that could think, man, we need offense. Um, and, you know, if we're going to make a deal like this, it's not just Seattle. You, you, you know, uh, uh, we, we could be talking about the, the Red Sox. You know, they have cases over at first base, but there's a DH spot as well, and they're certainly going to need offense. Um, mm-hmm. There's the Rays. Uh, the, the, Rays. Rays. the Rays offered a lot of money to Marcelo Zuna. Uh, mm-hmm. Before he went to what the the Cardinals. So how about how about a glass now uh, Guerrero deal in some way? Now the Rays would obviously have to include other things, but that would be a way. Like there's there there are other clubs, but if you already know that you're not extending Vlad Guerrero Jr., you have a pretty good idea that's not happening. How much do you actually want to give up for him? Unless you are just dead convinced he's going to be. 10, 15, 20% better than he was in 2023. Now, and, and to be there, to, to get there as an organization, you have to be able to identify, well, here's what he was doing in 2021. And here's what he hasn't done the last couple of years. And this is why he's fallen off and we'll get him back on track. And if that's the case, if the Mariners or the Orioles or the Rays or the Dodgers or whoever the heck it is, or the Angels or whoever it is, can identify that, <laughs> why Angels. can't the Toronto Blue Jays, right? Well, the Angels nice are going to be mentioned for everybody. The Angels are absolutely going to be mentioned for every single free agent out there, pitching, hitting, and otherwise. But anyway, like if 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 Seattle can do that, or San Diego can do that, or San Francisco can do that, I think the Giants would be uh, uh, an interesting idea for just about every offensive player uh, out there as well. Then why can't the Blue Jays help Vlad Guerrero get back to where he was a couple of years ago? That would just be my you know I'll throw it out there in the ether, um, you know, kind of a question on the situation. But if I'm the Blue Jays. Man, I got to get over the hump here. Like winning 87 to 90 games is great, but I'm not doing anything in the postseason. And I'm not getting the most out of my young guys who were supposed to keep my window open for a long, long time. And the biggest culprit of that is Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s regression, Joe. Yeah, I think Vlad was absolutely 
pitiful in September, and it drove his numbers down as they were making a push for the playoffs. Still, I think specifically when you're talking about what Seattle seems to want to target this winter, Mm -hmm. uh, Vlad doesn't strike out. I mean, he's a 15% strikeout guy over the last couple of years. And he'll walk. He walks quite a bit. And one thing that Jerry and and Justin in that front office have been all over is batted ball data. And we saw it with Teo. He absolutely fits. He hits the ball really, really, really hard. Um, So I I do think that Vlad, especially coming up on his walk year, is going to have to kind of recapture some of what he was in 2020 and 2021. Um, But yeah, I mean, to your point, it's like, is, is six years of Brian Wu worth two years of Vlad? And I think... Both teams need yeah. what what we're talking about. Now, now, all of this being said, the biggest question mark here is, does eliminating Vlad from the Toronto Blue Jays significantly hurt their chances of making the playoffs? Because it was already kind of a middling offense. Like They, they haven't been the offensive juggernaut that I think people yeah. expected them to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, listen, you got to pay. You got to pay Gossman again soon. I think they're going to try everything that they can to keep Gosman. You got to pay Bo. Bo's going to be a 32 to $35 million guy. I don't think the Blue Jays, like you said, are going to be in a huge rush to pay Vlad $30 million a year. And that's what he's going to, that's what he's going to command. And, and as Casey has pointed out in this show and previous shows, Brandon Belt is the best hitter on that team. <laughs> I know. Absolutely crazy that he was the best hitter on the team this year. Yeah, that's absolutely he's 35 years old. I think Brandon Belt is. Uh, that's crazy. Uh, Gossman actually has through 2026. Um, they don't really have to worry about him for now. They're going to sign a five-year yeah. deal. Yeah. So they can wait a little bit on him, but you're right. They, they gave, uh, Bichette the, uh, the three-year deal. He's got two years left at an AAV of about $11 million. Um, no shot. They're keeping both right. There's no way they're going to shell out $70 million per year to two players in one winner. You wouldn't think you wouldn't think, um, but Vlad probably has to earn that first. I don't know if they keep yeah, around for another year and see see what happens. But I would start shopping them now. And if you got the offer that really put you back into the window, you know, gave you back that window that you probably thought you had. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. And if I'm the Blue Jays, yeah, I want pitching to be part of it. But you're right, Joe. It's a really good point. It's not like that offense can survive or or actually expect to get better unless you replace all of, and then some Vlad Guerrero Jr. Cause it's not like he was terrible. You know, he was a viable starter, you know, in the middle of your lineup. And by the way, Vlad Guerrero Jr. 24 years old, he will be 25 in March. So he's entering his age 25 season. So his prime is still right in front of you. Uh, that would be a very, very interesting piece. Let me, let me, club around let me tell you about adding a guy like that. Let me just give you a little, uh, kind of a callback to the beginning of this of this episode 24 years old what was bryce harper worth at 23 24 years old uh in terms of war in in right field i i feel like maybe the blue jays would be making a mistake by moving vlad after this poor year bryce harper uh before he went to philly i got these numbers right here uh 2.7 war 1.6 war now that was sandwiched in between a nine war season Mm -hmm. and a four win season so and a three win season. So like he wasn't the star that that he is now. Yeah, I mean, Vlad feels like the perfect candidate to get moved and then turn into Vlad. You know, and this is probably and, and and this is why it's gonna cost you. It, it's why the 
potential trade cost if you're going to get Toronto interested. It's going to be pretty big. And if you're only keeping Vlad for two years and there is the risk that he's only this 120 WRC plus guy and not a special bat, it makes it clouds it up. There's a lot of gray there. Like you'd love to have a 25 year old Vlad Guerrero for the next two years, even for $50 million. But there's some risk there in, in, in trading a potential number three starter or better uh, and six years of control plus another player or two that there's risk there. I just, I don't know how else, unless, unless Toronto is just going to spend Joe, I don't know how they fix their situation there. I think they're short in the bullpen. They're short in the lineup. I think the rotation is fine. They're going to have to, you know, probably add a guy, but I don't think it needs to be necessary. Obviously basically losing Alec Manoa was, was huge, but even if they just added like a, like a Sonny gray or Jordan Montgomery that they'd be in really good shape with the rotation. Um, but I just think most of it's that lineup. They need to stretch that out a little bit. What do they do with Matt Chapman? They'd have to be replacing him uh, as well. Uh, there are holes over there. Um, it's really and George Springer's fallen off a little bit, and he's thirty-four years old. Like you know, still good, but not the impact guy that he was two years ago. And he's starting to get banged up and starting to miss time. That it's just amazing how that window. Like it was wide open like eighteen months ago. We we're thinking, man, the Blue Jays are going to be good for a while. And now I'm like, not sure this isn't an 85 win team next year. And, so would you and, do and, it? That's my question. Would, would you move Vlad for Brian Wu and Ty France? No, no, I wouldn't. But I if wouldn't you, but if you told me Bryce Miller instead of Brian Wu and you told me Ty France and a prospect, I'd have to listen. I'd have to listen. If you gave me a, uh, if you told me Ty France, Bri- uh, Bryce Miller and, Gabriel Gonzalez, I would have to seriously consider a deal like that if I'm Toronto, and 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 I'm assuming in that scenario, I think Seattle Joe, does too. Yeah, and I'm assuming in that scenario, Joe, that if I'm Toronto, I plan on doing other things. Like I'd have Ty France at first base, but I can consider JD Martinez at DH. I can. Uh, there are some outfielders out there. That's one of the things. It, the starting pitching is the um, is the prize in this free agent class. If there is one, it's not a great free agent class at all, but relative to this class, it's starting pitching. The Montgomery's and maybe Marcus Stroman is added to it and Sonny Gray and Jordan Montgomery and Blake Snell and Aaron Nola. There's some guys, but there's also some corner outfield guys. I mean, there's almost no chance Jorge Soler, who had a good year, isn't opting out. Michael Conforto reportedly opting out. He's going to hit the market again. Cody Bellinger is out there. There are some corner outfielders and first base types or corner outfielders anyway, uh, or DH types that they could go get. Um, Casey points out, uh, Guriel Jr. had a pretty good year and is a, a decent corner outfield option out there as well. The Blue Jays could be pretty active, ultimately replace Vlad Guerrero in free agency without committing seven, eight, nine years to a player and still make a move like that and end up with, you know, a guy that belongs in the middle of the rotation and maybe even add a reliever and, and, and extend their window that way. I just think it could be really, really interesting if they're creative enough with their offseason, they can move Vlad Guerrero Jr. and actually reopen their window to now over the next you know five years or so. But it's dangerous because Guerrero is only 24 years old and and does have two years left. And maybe they do have plans to try and extend him. I don't know what it would take to extend yeah, Vlad Guerrero right now, but I would imagine at least $25 million a year. So he's going to make I mean, 50 over the next two. So I would imagine you'd have to stay right along that AAV to get him to even think about an extension 
uh, you know, for five additional years, I, I'd be okay paying Vlad Guerrero for five, for seven more years. That gets me to his age through his age 31 or 32 season, you know, at 25 million a year, that's an investment that I think I would make, you know, as long as you I would make Vlad that too. put the work in, but this whole it's, conversation, it's this whole conversation speaks to, uh, just how different like winters are going to be with major league baseball with this, with this new wild card. I mean, there's going to be guys that you don't expect to be moved, moved Mm -hmm. Uh, Corbin Burns, maybe not the most egregious candidate here, but we're talking about moving Vlad, you know, we're talking about moving Dylan cease, Luis Robert Mm -hmm. talking about, you know um, what what could the brewers get for the remaining years of Christian Yelich? You know, he was good this year before the back gave out on him again. Like, there's going to be guys that you don't expect to be moved, moved. Like, a, a guy that I keep thinking that could get moved is Patrick Sandoval. Like, if, if the Angels want to kind of redo this thing or, or read Detmers, if they want to redo this thing, they want to redo it right, they've Joe. got a couple of pieces that are interesting. Joe. Interesting, not good. Joe, you, you know how I feel about Reed Detmers, buddy. You know how I feel about Reed yeah. Detmers. I, I'm he, a read more in the fan. tank. I know get you get him the hell out of Anaheim, and I think someone makes him a mid rotation or better guy. I am a huge Reed Detmers fan. Yeah, uh, he is a prime candidate. Please, Angels, trade Reed Detmers. I don't care where you trade him. I don't care. Texas, Houston, Seattle, San Francisco, L.A., New York. I don't care. Get him the hell out of there. And I think he's pretty good. So anytime you mention Reed Detmers, I have to remind everybody on planet Earth. Because everybody's listening to this, we have seven billion listeners to the show. That Churchill, for eight. Churchill loves him some Demers, man. Yeah, big Demers. How fan. can we? Uh, how can we? We're like Apple. How can we get to the eight billion mark? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have to. Here's how you get to eight billion. We're at seven billion on the planet. Is it? Is that where we're at? I think how we're at eight point eight. So eight, there's still room to grow. We we have eight billion people on this planet. I think so. How many people on planet Earth? How have Google? you not noticed this? You, like, your attitude has gotten worse and worse every year, and you haven't taken count. <laughs> so it's it's seven point eight billion. Okay, seven point eight. Seven point eight billion. That that was as of as of twenty twenty one. That's the latest that Google has. So we're probably over eight billion now. So there's eight billion people on the planet. How do we get to nine billion? We either sit around and wait an hour, or. <laughs> <laughs> Or or we fund people having more children. <laughs> that's that's what we do. Or oh. we clone. <laughs> this is going to be about clones. Oh boy! All right. Yeah, I love me some Reed Demers. Sorry, I didn't mean to go completely <laughs> off the rails. Off the rails. <laughs> completely <laughs> off the rails there. Uh, next week, let's uh, let's throw the uh, let's throw the Minnesota Twins into the mixer. Uh, let's throw the Tampa or excuse me the uh, the New York Yankees into the mixer. And we'll have conversations about their winners next week, and we'll check in on the uh, uh, the league championship series. Hopefully, for the sake of of baseball, both series are still going when we meet in seven days. That would be an awfully quick yeah. LCS if uh, if we had a had any four game sweeps. Hopefully, that doesn't occur. But if it does, we will talk about that as well. Hey, Joe, give me a parting shot. What's on your mind right now in the baseball world? Top top. We we spent this episode and even last week entirely on major leaguers what's going on in Doyle's world right now when it comes to you know to baseball in general because I gotta be honest with you I've had to go back and re-watch or not even re-watch watch on tape the postseason I've been so distracted by other things 
in the sports world that I've had to go back and watch some of this just so I can keep up. Um, And I've been thinking about the draft, which is weird because, you know, we're nine months away from there. But what have you been thinking about most of all as the postseason pairs down? And now we only have four teams left. What's going on in Joe's world? I don't think thinking about the draft at this time of the year is weird. Come on. It's just a Tuesday for me, baby. I I think it's (laughs) weird when it's kind of the only thing. (laughs) It's been like football and the Major League Baseball draft. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Um, So the last tournament, the last major tournament of the high school year just Mm -hmm. ended last week. So now is a good time to really take stock into how these kids performed all summer. I think you're probably going to see a huge shakeup on every major publications board in terms of like the high school guys. Wait a second. Wait, it's not a good, it's not what does this mean? We're getting a new set of rankings from Joe Doyle here pretty soon. (laughs) Futurestarseries.com. Are we going to get a new set of rankings in the next week or two? You guys, you guys see how I just cornered myself in the morning. Yes, you yes, guys see you how did. I just. Yes, you did. That was either talent or a mistake. <laughs> it was neither. It was, <laughs> it was an accident. It certainly wasn't talent. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll probably have a new board out for high schoolers uh, in two or three weeks once I get through all these numbers. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a down period, and you do kind of wish that some of these postseason series would go five games or seven games to kind of keep you more interested. But like I said, man, I'm just replacing my windows, getting my doors checked, making sure that everything's closed. So Nick Castellanos can't steal my wife, man. Just too much swag, <laughs> too much swag for one human being. And I, uh, I fear for myself and my safety. I do like me some Nick Castellanos. That guy is fun. Uh, really quick. Uh, the biggest game in college football this weekend. Oh, Wazoo, is- Arizona is <laughs> all right give me a pick on that game give me a pick on uh the oregon ducks two top 10 teams the oregon ducks at washington and then we'll get casey's casey's oregon ducks we'll get casey's take on uh, on that game as well give me give me a prediction on both those games arizona's not bad no that's, they, not, they, that's not a bad they team better they last week things. yeah uh coogs looked horrible against ucla uh, yeah, ucla's game. defense is the real deal the front uh, seven, i'll really say good. I'll say 30 to 21 Cougs. Uh, mm-hmm. I think in Pullman, Arizona and Arizona State never travel. Nobody travels well to Pullman. It's right. such a travel chore. So I'll take the Cougs by nine in Pullman. And, you know, the dog ducks game is going to be really, really close. I just think this Washington offense, and it just guts me to say this sort of thing out loud. <laughs> <laughs> it's disgusting. Uh, that offense is really freaking good i don't understand why that would hurt joe yeah I don't understand. well explain it to me i don't get it i mean <laughs> when the school colors are the same as a black eye it kind of tells you why how i feel about it and the other school oregon's the same color as vomit so even though they give you a <laughs> even a though second. they give you a wait even a though they joe. give you a, a a different color scheme in their jerseys every week do folks in still, your house the oregon quacks and the purple and piss do folks in your house vomit gold, Joe? Sometimes. That is incredible. That is, I knew we there was a, something special. We have a lot it. of money. I, we I have a lot of it. money. I knew so. So who do you like <laughs> in that game? UW, Oregon. It's it, it's at UW. Uh, take the dogs by eight. Dogs by eight. high I'll scoring game. Th- you taking the over in that uh, game? 34-26. I don't know what the over-under is, Ooh. but I'll take 34-26. Ooh, 34-26. That, uh, unbelievably, is actually a tad under. That is a, a relatively low uh, scoring game. I think the over under, 
uh, on that game is in the 60s, uh, in the mid-60s, if I'm not mistaken. It's moved a I'll little take, bit. I'll take the under. Taking the under there. Uh, Casey Bellin, Oregon Ducks fan, down there in 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 uh, and what would you call it? Is that southeastern Oregon? Is that where you live? I don't even really know where where you are. It is central Oregon. It's central Oregon. So it's very unfortunate yeah. that we like Casey because Casey is an Oregon Ducks fan. He's also a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, by the way, which is just really really weird. Um, there are reasons for that. It's legitimate. It's not bandwagon. I mean, he literally lives in Oregon, so not bad the Steelers thing there's reasons for that totally get it it's fine and because worthless burger is not there anymore I don't have to hate the Steelers anymore because Mike Tomlin's very anyway we give Casey the floor Oregon at Washington it's number eight versus number seven undefeated the winner is in the driver's seat for a college football playoff appearance the loser's not out of it either which is really really interesting because of the way the schedule lines up who do you like Casey and if you're making a I know where your heart is but where's your brain on? You know, before I go there, I have to ask Joe what part of a cougar is red, because it just kind of, it's just kind the, of uh, weird. The beautiful blood that flows through our veins. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take it. Oh, our personalities man. are gray, so that's the other half. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. All right. Uh, ducks, dogs, man. Unfortunately, it, it, my heart says ducks, but my brain, it says dogs. Just, mm. you know, after watching Oregon early versus Stanford, I think they scored three points in the first quarter. It's going to have to start faster than that in mm. Seattle and uh, tougher crowd. So we'll see yeah. if they start. If both teams start fast, it's up in the air. But a slow start by Oregon worries me. I'll go. I'll go. Oh, Washington. Wow. Taking Washington. Give me give me a score. Give me give me a score. Give me the best. Oh shot. gosh. 42 28. 42 wow. 28. The over under is 67 uh on that game by the way. What's so the Casey takes the over. Dogs it's, by 5 or something? Dogs by 3. It's essentially the dogs home field Yeah. Yeah. I think the one of the issues with the odds makers right now is Oregon and Washington haven't played anybody. They really haven't neither team has really played anyone. You know, to 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 really get a good uh, to kind of take the temperature of either of those teams. Um, I'm not as I don't have a great feel for this game um, because I watch this Washington team and I see no pass rush. I see uh, a running game that's that's okay, but not great. I see injuries uh, with the offensive line, um, and it's just really all on. Uh, the passing game, and and I still don't love the Washington defense. Oregon is a multi-dimensional offense. They can run. Bo Nix can run. They can run out of the backfield. They can throw the ball. Um, ah, man, I, I I don't know. I, do I think Washington will win? I, I don't know. I, I think this is going to end up a tie. And there's no such thing in college football like that. That's kind of where I'm. I just don't really have a good feel for this game. I do think it's going to go over. Um, maybe we get overtime. Maybe we will get one of those triple overtime games. Um, I, I guess Washington because they're at home, but I, I'm not as confident as a lot of folks in this town are about uh, about that particular game. So, yeah, I think uh, back to uh, the 2018 Apple Cup really quick. Cougs come in. I think they're 10 and one. Mm -hmm. Dogs are. I want to say the dogs were seven and four, or eight and three, and for three hours on that cold Pullman night, it snowed as hard as I've ever seen it snow. And then it was beautiful before the game and after the game. And 
it completely pushed Gardner Minshew out of the game. Savan mm-hmm. Ahmed ran for like 7 billion yards. Dogs win, I think 24 to 7. I think if the Ducks get the wind and the rain, then that running game could run all over mm-hmm. UW. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of what you're looking for is a messy, messy game because Keith Price ain't throwing for 450 yards with it blowing sideways in his face. Yeah, I agree I with think. that. I think if I don't think Keith can... Price is throwing for a single yard on Saturday, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I not, Michael Penix uh, Jr. I'm a Keith. I'm a Keith Price fan, but you know, no. Like you know I, who I, is going to throw for yards <laughs> this weekend? Gardner Minshew, not Keith Price. Gardner Minshew, baby. Minshew. Why? Why won't teams give him a shot? It's another podcast for another day. But uh, it does look like there's going to be a little bit of rain um, on uh, on Saturday. But it doesn't look like it doesn't look like it's going to be a torrential downpour. Um, you know, by the time uh wasn't supposed to snow in Pullman either. By the time, yeah, it wasn't supposed to snow in Pullman either. I think I remember that game actually, but if it's the year I'm thinking of, that was the year Miles Gaskin had a buck seventy. Ahmed had like eighty five yards. Gaskin went for eighty uh, on been, one play, it and it ended Gaskin. up being, and it was a close game. And then Gaskin's run kind of put it away and made it a two score win, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, it was just an ugly game all altogether. Yeah, that can happen. Sometimes. Anyways, we've been talking about football for like 15 years. That, that happens sometimes in the Apple Cup, Joe. Like it gets ugly. It happens every year. Just about. Yeah, just about. Every and that's year. why you guys bailed on the conference because the Cougs were just. Because <laughs> it was too boring. Much. Yeah, you didn't want to travel. You just pansied <laughs> out. Oh, boy. That whole thing is a mess. I don't uh, know if I... Oregon minded in Washington State after last year. That was kind of fun, actually. Hey, we beat you five times in a row. Don't forget it. <laughs> And it was recently too. It was like thirteen to seventeen. It's the Joe. It's the only time of year Husky fans are Cougars fans when they play the Ducks. That's the way it works. It's the, the only game out. that the Cougar fans out. root for the Huskies is when we die. Won't happen. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> Won't happen. Arch wow. nemesis, man. Yeah, I guess that's probably true. All right, we'll get back to baseball next week. Uh, we'll throw some uh, other teams into the uh, into the hopper. We'll talk about their off seasons. And we'll update everyone on our uh, on our LCS and, and World Series picks because I know everybody out there is taking what we're saying here on the show, guys, and heading directly to their bookie. Directly to their bookie. Football, baseball, er, draft, minor league, every directly to their bookie. So we have we a charge for this show. We, have we a, need to charge for this show. Well, what do you think? Fifty cents, or are we talking big time, like a hundred dollars an episode? See, that would make us $3.5 billion a month. Um, it's maybe a enough. buck. We need to go bigger. I don't think that's enough. <laughs> I don't think that's enough. <laughs> My time is worth more than this. Uh, beautiful. All right. We'll get back to baseball next week. Uh, appreciate it. This has been the episode. See you, Case. Thanks, Bellin. Appreciate so it. So just we'll chill to, to the next episode. Peace.